Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. This week's sermon is entitled, A Submissive Heart. A Submissive Heart. And the big idea is this. God does not see and evaluate people the way human beings do. He looks deeper. He looks deeper. We just got off of uh, a series on how to read the Bible. And the last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to do holy surgery into us. It goes deeper than just skin deep, right? And we see that God is consistent. He is the quote-unquote same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. All right. Our main text today is 1 Samuel 16, 7, and it says this. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David is a central figure in the Bible and in Judaism and Christianity. He authored much of the book of Psalms, and the events of his life are recorded throughout multiple books in the Old Testament. Prophecies made about him led to son of David, quote-unquote, being a messianic title. God declared that David is, this is very important, a man after God's own heart. So you're going to see the titles of these messages kind of following a pattern. Today is a submissive heart. If you want a heart that's after God's own heart, what kind of elements does that incorporate? A submissive heart. The story of David is important both individually and corporately as his influence can be felt in both levels. We're going to start in uh, 1 Samuel 16. So open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when David is anointed king of Israel. Now, it's interesting because he's anointed king of Israel while Saul is still the king. It's interesting. Saul is the king of Israel, and then David is anointed the king of Israel while Saul is still holding that position. So we we got to use our hermeneutics, and our exegesis, we want to know, we can't just jump into 16 and say, well, David's the king now. What does that mean? Why? Why is David king? There's already a king. Why do we need another king? Where's the king going? Is he going on vacation? Is this, you know, is he on a sabbatical? What is going on? Why is this happening? So turn one page over to chapter 15, and we're going to get a little context. Let me tell you something about Saul, before we get into this. Saul was a son of Kish, a well-to-do member of the tribe of Benjamin. When Saul was selected as king, he was so embarrassed and so shy that they searched for him, and they couldn't find him. They eventually found him, like, hiding in the baggage from all the caravans that came to this this, uh, uh, summons to choose the next king. He was hiding in the baggage. I'll talk a little bit about this later. 
the scriptures say he was tall, very tall, handsome. He was a tall, handsome young man. Scripture describes him as a head and shoulders taller than all the other men. This will come into play when we get to the whole Goliath story down the road. Okay? He was tall. He was what a king should look like. But he also had terrible self-confidence. Terrible self-confidence. He pandered to his army generals like crazy. At multiple occasions, disobeying God's instruction to appease the army. He had some great successes, but his story ultimately ends in abject failure. Why? Because his heart was not right. We see a fall, a terrible fall from, uh, from grace when it comes to uh, Saul. He's chosen by God at the beginning, and by the end of his reign, he's consorting with witches to find out what to do. That's a... Okay. So, let's read out of First um, Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 10 and go through 28. It says this. And this is the moment in which Saul uh, puts the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, of his reign. He's had some mess-ups already. He, he's, he's, he's already struggling to maintain his army, and he has done some things that go directly against what God asked him to do in order to appease the people. So verse 10 starts with this. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel and, says, and said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel got angry with God. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul. But it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. See how, where this is going. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I haven't read in the instructions where the king is supposed to set up a monument for himself, but that must have been not on his mind at this moment when Samuel is definitely coming with his finger like this. Samuel replied, Then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? Saul answered, The troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God but the rest were destroyed. Stop. I love this part. So what happens is God had told Saul to go wage war on a group of people who have constantly and repeatedly um, done evil to the, the nation of Israel. And God said, go do it. I want you to wipe them out. Go and do this. And, and, and just, just all of the goods, I don't want anything to survive this thing. All the grain. All the cat, I want, I want it all destroyed. I don't want anybody to take away plunder from this battle. When Samuel gets there, here's all the plunder. <laughs> all the plunder, all the things are just, and, and, and Saul tries to spin it. Oh, we, we brought the best back so we could sacrifice to God. 
I can see, I can see the wheels turning in Samuel's mind. Okay, there's a statue to Saul here. And hmm, they got all the plunder that they weren't supposed to take. So what does Saul, what does Samuel say to Saul? Stop. Just stop. Just shut up. You're digging a bigger hole. Just stop. Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, although you once considered yourself uh, unimportant, although you once considered yourself unimportant, you were the guy in the baggage, right? Didn't think you could do it. Have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? He goes, but I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Emelech, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops, oh, the troops, remember the troops? This is called, this is classic passing the buck. The troops took the sheep, the goats, and cattle from the plunder. The best of what set apart for destruction to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Oh, I love when we see a shift here. When he was king, when he was anointed king, he was the Lord God. Now he's the Lord, your God. He's not saying he's not Lord, he's just not my Lord. Verse 22, then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. This is something we have to grasp in our day and age. There are people all over our country saying, identifying themselves as Christians, they actually go to church sometimes, but their lifestyle is completely other than what Scripture mandates. So they go to church and they sing songs and they worship and they may even be part of a small group and maybe, maybe, possibly they give in the offering. But their lives are so far from the example that Scripture sets for us. Look, to obey is better than worship, than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And defiance is like wickedness of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words because I was afraid of the people and I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and turn with me and come to worship the Lord. Samuel replied to him, I will not return with you because you rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. When Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed the corner of his robe and it tore. 
Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. He's better than you. Now, what does that even mean? What is better about David than Saul? I mean, over this series, we're going to talk about a bunch of failures that David had too. I want to highlight something in Saul's life right here in this moment that you'll see as we talk about, I'm not going to wreck the rest of the series, but as we talk about David's life moving forward. When Saul is confronted with his sin and the consequences of his sin, he repents. I mean, have you ever have a child in your house? Grandchild, regular child? I love it when children repent because they don't want to get punished. They're not sorry for what they did. They're sorry they got caught. Right? Oh, please don't take my computer away. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you really? No, you're just sorry you got nailed. And that's Saul. That's Saul here. His heart is completely unrepentant. He just doesn't want to have to pay the consequences for his actions. And we like to pick on Saul. We like to pick on kids that do that, but we're the same way. We're the same way. A submissive heart is the difference between the two. So when we look at Saul, Saul was a great man who had everything in the world taken, uh, uh, everything in the world that looks for a leader. So if you were to, if you were to, write a sketch of what a leader would look like, Saul was the guy, okay? He's handsome, tall, strong, charismatic, diplomatic, to a fault. So what was God looking for that was better? All right, turn over to chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to read 13 verses here. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem, because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. I love how Samuel just talks to God like, he's just like over coffee. I can't do that, God. What are you talking about? He's going to kill me. What do you think? And then God doesn't, God doesn't say, Samuel, shut up and do what I tell you to do. He says, he goes, um, the Lord answered, take, take a young cow with you and say, I, am, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. He actually gave him a way out. He's like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. You're going to take a cow. It's so funny. It's like the, there's conversations are great. If you ever read this straight through, just listen to the conversations between Samuel and God. It's pretty funny. Pretty, pretty interesting to, to think about, too, how we talk to God. We talk to God like, oh, Lord, you know. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord 
directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? See, nobody liked to see the prophet coming. They're like, oh, no. Something's going to melt with fervent heat. Here we go. They're like, you, uh, we're not sure we'll let you into this town. He goes, in peace, he replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is before me. Eliab. Why? Why? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So what does this tell us about Eliab? He looked like Saul. He had the bearing of a king. He was the proper age. He was the eldest son. Apparently, he was attractive and had good bearing. He was tall and attractive. So, Samuel's like, well, obviously, he's very kingly. All right, so uh, said he's, the Lord said that I rejected him. Uh, okay. Jesse called, verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord has cho- not chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. He's like, what do I got to do? I had seven sons. None of them are good enough for you? I mean, these guys came through the ranks, and they're like, oh, bro didn't get chosen. It's going to be me. It's totally going to be me. And I'm going to rule over all you suckers. You know, he's just like, hey, can you see these guys going through like, I hope he chooses me. I hope he chooses me. Uh, Samuel says, verse 11, Samuel asked him, are, there, are these all the sons you have? As if seven isn't enough. There is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had, been, he had beautiful eyes and healthy, handsome appearance. What, when, that's a euphemism. Beautiful eyes means like, good personality in today's <laughs> he's got a good personality he had beautiful eyes um, then the Lord said anoint him for he is the one so Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward then Samuel set out and went to Ramah now I want to read one more verse here It's kind of unrelated, but this is interesting. We get this uh, juxtaposition. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David, and in verse 14, now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Okay. The story of David starts. Now, this, this series is not the story of Saul. It's the story of David. But the story of David starts out with David almost as an afterthought. A succession of the sons of Jesse passed before Samuel, but none 
is the one whom God has chosen. Finally, they summon the youngest, David, probably smelled like goat and sheep at this point. And he comes in, God confirms, this is the one whom God has chosen to be the next king. Really? I can picture his brothers going, really? Davy? He's a shepherd. And in fact, we know this is true because later on, they despise him for it. They despise David for it. There's a whole uh, Jewish tradition around the, uh, the birth of David that is a very interesting extra-biblical uh, tradition in Jewish tradition about David being, uh, being considered outside the family. Okay? But we won't get into that today. The point of the next, maybe that would be a good rewind. The point of the text seems to be to be uh, the human expectation versus God's reality. The point of this text of, of, of chapter 15 and chapter 16 is human expectation versus God's reality. We expect God to see things the way we do, yet we are often oblivious to God's way of doing things. Can anybody say amen? Aren't we? A, sometimes we are oblivious. We just assume God's going to do things the way we see fit. Because, of course, we're right. God doesn't do that. So there's three things I think we want to we highlight today. One is this. We often want God to work in the familiar. We want God to work in the familiar. Samuel saw Eliab, a reflection of the familiar stature of Saul. He was the right age. He was the right bearing. He had the right birth order. He was what everyone expected a king to be. But so often in Scripture, we see God subvert our expectations and take us on a journey of the unfamiliar. He uses people that are unexpected and and works through the weak to show his great might. Think about just a few examples. Jacob, not the firstborn Esau, but Jacob. Joseph, sold into slavery, becomes the ruler of Egypt. Moses, he was a a murderer, cast away, comes back and leads Israel out. Gideon, only had 300 men, took out the entire army. Deborah. A woman. I love that when Deborah comes around, like, what was her shortcomings? Oh, she was a woman. That's terrible. But even Deborah, I love that when Deborah talks, she's like, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'll go with you, but I'm going to get the glory, not you. You cowards. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was just a little teenage girl. from a a backwater Israelite town. Peter, the fisherman, the rabble-rouser. I mean, just think about all the apostles. We got tax collectors, we got fishermen, we got uh, zealots, we got all kinds of weird guys in this thing. They They were the B team. They didn't get selected on the first round of the draft. 
or they wouldn't have been fishermen in Tashkent. They would have been with the rabbi. But instead of doing that, instead of doing the family job, Jesus said, come follow me. What, me? Yeah, you, come on. Think about Paul, who was Saul, a persecutor of the early church, had an encounter with God, and now he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. This is you. This is us. Consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. It's like, whoa, Paul, relax. Don't call me foolish. No, uh, no he did. He took a little chubby kid from nor- uh, northwest corner of Connecticut in Torrington and said, you're going to be a pastor. What? I had to shop in the husky section at Bradley's. Right, Mom? At Bradley's. Caldor didn't have my size, so. He said, you're going to be a pastor. What? I have a learning disability. I can't be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. To shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing. David. To bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. I love that verse. I love that verse. Do you feel like nothing sometimes? Do you feel insignificant? Good. That means God can start to use you. That means that's the starting point. That's the starting line for God to be able to use you is that you've got to realize that you are a fool because he's going to use the foolish to confound the wise. And he does this time and time and time again in Scripture. Why would he? He's the same God then as he is right now. Why would he choose any other than those who have a submissive heart? Number two things we, we expect. We want God to work in the here and now. We want it 30 seconds left. We want it hot. And we don't want to pay the tip. That's a weird thing. Can we just, can we just step off the, and get on the soapbox? What's with all the tips lately? You hand me my Dunkin' Donuts and you want a tip? That's a weird thing. I'm sorry, that's weird. Whatever. Anyway, all the people working Dunkin' Donuts are like, I like that tip. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I know. We want things done in the here and now. We want to fast. We, want, we are a fast food culture. Samuel expected that God would replace Saul now. Which one of these sons could take the spot now? Eliab. He's perfect. Let's do this. Anoint him. Get him on the throne. Eliab, Eliab would have been able to step right into Saul's shoes. It would take David nearly 15 years from the time of his anointing when he was installed as king. 15 years. Samuel would not live to see David's coronation. David had a long way to go before he was ready to carry the mantle of king. Even when he did, he made a lot of mistakes. Sometimes I think about this. Samuel never got to see the fruits of what he did that day. 
That might be you and that might be me. We may invest in a young person. And down the road, they're going to be great for the kingdom of God. And we may be six feet under by that time. We may never see the fruits of what, we, what God has called us to do in the moment. That doesn't mean it's not what he wants us to do in the moment. We're so fast, we want the answers now. We want, to, we want the results now. We want it right now, right now, right now. We don't want to invest in long-term things. But I look around at this church, and I see a bunch of young people who I am blessed to invest in. John and Ariel, they invest in our young people, our children. That's their job. Why is that their job? Because it's important to this church to invest in the future, not just what's going on right now. Kids, when you feel insignificant in the world's eyes, know that that's a perfect place for God to start using you. Don't reject it. Embrace it. Embrace it. And we're here. We, we, we are here for you. We love you. We, have, we see God's potential in you. Don't let the world snuff that out. Someday I'll be six feet under and you'll be carrying the torch that was passed on. But we don't like that. Often God works in timings that we're not comfortable with. Now the third thing that we expect from God is we want God to work for us. You ever see the difference? We don't work for him. He works for us. We want God to work for us. God was looking for someone who would not use God's to promote himself. He would not use God, the blessing of God, to promote himself. But to allow himself to be used in the service of promoting God. We see this in this text. Saul is setting up pillars to himself. He's using the blessings of God, the anointing, the spirit filling of, uh, that God poured out on him to promote himself. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. I've anointed you to promote me. That's how it works. You may wear the crown, but I'm still the king. we got to be humble. we got to be submissive. If we want a heart after God, we have to understand where we rank in this thing. He's on the throne. If he's selected us for anything, we should be thankful and grateful that he's willing to use the foolish things of this world, i.e., Davy Sangster, to confound the wise. We should be thankful for it. In Saul, what looked looked like humility, remember he was hiding the baggage, was really a sense of inadequacy. He used his God-given position to compensate for his glaring personal shortcomings. He wanted God to work for him, to bless the work of his hand. And we've all done it. We saw some slack here a little bit because we've all done it. David even does it later on in, in, in a certain way. He goes, you know, we pray that God bless the work of my hand. God bless what I'm doing. God, uh, make this thing. Pastors do this all the time, by the way. We're not off the hook either. We say, God, we're building a church. Bless this church. Bless what I am doing. And God's like, I don't even want you to do that. But God, this is what I want to do. I'm trying to follow you. He's like, are you? Are you? How about we say, God, help me to bless what you're doing through me. And then we can have success. God was looking for a man 
after his own heart. That would lay down his own life to exalt the true king of kings. Well, you may say, David made some big mistakes. Why did God give him a break and not Saul? That's a good question. And we will be returning to this concept week over week. Okay? Uh, But the simple answer is that humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. God looked at Saul's heart and he found him lacking. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the king to someone better. He wants us to pursue the heart of God. When, it, when, when you hear in this series, when you hear that David was a man after God's own heart, I don't want you to hear that David had the heart of God. Now we all will go there. We all go there. David had the heart of God. If you actually look at the life of David, you will find that many times in his, in his journey as king, he did not exemplify the heart of God. But what David did is he was after the heart of God always. He was always in pursuit of God's heart. And he, made, he had problems, which I can't wait to get into. He had problems, he had failures, he had successes, and he had wins. But the entire time, whether high or low, he was pursuing the heart of God. When he got off track, I don't want to ruin the rest of the series. He was pursuing that. So when you hear that, don't just assume that David was this superhero who had the heart of God. No, he was just like you and just like me. He was the fool that astounded the wise, and he pursued God with everything. When we fail to meet the mark, God wants us to look deeper inside ourselves and adjust our hearts to be in sync with his. It's not about us. I've been beating that, pretty, that drum pretty hard lately. You notice that? It's not about us. His plan and purpose over ours. His standards of morality over that of the cultures. His glorification over our exaltation. He is choosing people today to advance his kingdom and spread the good news. But he is the king and we are not. Where's your heart today? Think about it for a second. Where is your heart today? Is it open to God working in ways, in his ways, in his timing, and for his glory? Is it able to truly take correction and not just be upset that you got caught, but actually be repentant? Is it an active pursuit? Is your heart an active pursuit of the heart of God? Where is your heart today? If you say to me today, you're super honest, you say, no. No, my heart's not there. I appreciate the honesty. I encourage you to pray a prayer of David from Psalm 51 that goes this way. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This is from David. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of 
of your salvation. And uphold me by your gracious spirit. I would encourage you if, you, if you, if you're honest and you say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not there. I'm not there. I want to be there. It sounds great. I mean, I don't want to be Saul. I'd rather, I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to get thrown away. I don't want to be, I, I, I want to be David. And, but you say, I'm just not there. I would encourage you, read that over. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you see that this is talking about this very situation? That, that, Paul, that Saul and uh, David were going through? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think we often get to that place, guys. If you've ever been in the church for any period of time, we get these moments where we're just not there. We're not, we're not feeling it. I've been there. I've been in the church since I was a year old. I've had my ups and I've had my downs. I've had my, my you know, Holy Spirit moments with God and I've had the doldrums. And this is one of my go-to prayers at my devotional times. God, renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with your generous spirit. So if that's you today, I appreciate the honesty. But don't sit there. Go to God with it. And that's a great verse from the, from the mouth of David that can help. If you answer that question, yeah, my heart is there. I want to be, I, I wanna, I'm pursuing God. And your, and your heart is beating in sync with this message today. And you want to, God to use you to bring glory to his name and advance his kingdom in the world, then I would encourage you to pray a different psalm of David. Psalm 139, 23 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you're saying, yes, this is where my heart, my, my heart is just beating inside me when you're talking about that. I want this. I want this type of relationship with God. I want to be. Then you say, God, let's go. Lead me. Let's get going here. Lead me on the ways. Test me. Know me. Search me. Correct me. And get me on track. And let's get going doing this thing. That's your prayer today. And I encourage you to use Psalm 139. And the last thing I got to say is this. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's be a church that's after God's own heart. Would you stand with me? I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.